Welcome back everyone to the Retail Ready Podcast. We're on episode number 19 and in today's episode I am joined by one of Australia's most influential individuals within the food industry. It gives me great pleasure to do an episode with Adrian Sester. Adrian is the founder of Flavor Makers, which is based in Melbourne and produces for brands such as Celebrate Health, Passage to India and the recent Australian Organics Company. Not only do they produce their own brands, other people's brands, but they also play in the private label space. Flavor Makers is worth around about $150 million, which would keep most people busy. But Adrian also has his own Italian vineyard, has created a cider brand and works with Australian farmers to grow as much produce as possible. In this episode, we discuss Adrian's journey, his passion for food, working with farmers and where he wants to take the business. Adrian is without a doubt an amazing businessman, but he also is an even better mentor. Adrian took the time out last year to provide me with some great career advice when I needed it, and I'll be forever grateful for him. So thank you very much, Adrian. Loved recording this episode, even loved doing an episode while enjoying one of Adrian's Proseccos from his own vineyard. So thank you very much again. Hope you guys enjoy this and any feedback please provide it and also leave a review on iTunes so that we can keep climbing the charts. Enjoy the episode, guys. Speak soon. Welcome to the Retail Ready Podcast, hosted by Ben Wyatt, your destination for product development, food trends, and some serious knowledge bombs about the food industry. Right, guys, we have a live episode going ahead at the moment. I am with Adrian Chester from Flavor Makers, but also other businesses which we'll go into. And it's Friday night in Melbourne. It's a miserable night. And Adrian has literally just cracked open a lovely uh, sparkling bottle. So thank you very much for uh, well inviting me to your home, to be honest. You're welcome. And just to get a plug in there, mate, uh, the Sesta Camillo Prosecco uh, from the family vineyard, buddy. Oh my lord! So, <laughs> so Adrian, we, we can we're, we're going to be talking many stories uh, today. But Adrian has his own vineyard and winery, yeah. and yeah, it's a long story. Ben. But yes, um, yeah, I effectively try to set up something with my cousins in Italy because youth unemployment in Europe is pretty pretty ordinary, and uh, the family comes from that region of Italy that uh, is allowed to make prosecco. So, um, wow, yeah, we set something up about five years ago. So Which has morphed into a whole lot of other things, but yeah. So that's just one arm. I'm sitting in <laughs> Flavor Maker's head office uh, yeah. in Brayside in Melbourne. That's your other arm. I just think, let's go back to the start. And sure. who, who is Adrian and uh, what, what, what's your story? Well, I, I guess um, the story starts with my family background. You know, the, my parents, uh, my father and his brother had a poultry business that was started or began in the 1950s, early probably actually late 1940s, to be honest. And literally, they would, you know, drive down St Kilda Road and knock on people's doors, because in those days, poultry was a pretty special item. Maybe you have it, it's on a Sunday Sunday roast. So in order to get the whole poultry industry started in in Victoria, that's literally what they did. Um, And uh, so that that grew into a a bit of an empire Uh, in 1976. We, the family was growing chickens, they had an abattoir and they expanded Mm. Um, and the expansion meant a a grow out in Yarrawonga. Anyway, Yarrawonga was where all the chickens were going to be growing because the warmer weather climate is better for chickens and 
At about that same time, um, our banker, believe it or not, the National Bank in those days was the same banker for Ingham's. Oh, and right. the Ingham's family were pretty tight with the National Bank. And, uh, and the National Bank manager at the time, the CEO, said, oh, if you wanted to get into poultry in Victoria, now would be the moment. Okay. Because the Sester family's hocked to the hilt. And so chickens started coming over the, the border. Anyway, oh, wow. I, I, you know, it's, I could meander forever um, on that, Ben. But so I grew up in the poultry industry. The family owned, we had our own poultry shops and we imported rotisserie machines from uh, Italy. Um, and we had about 16 stores in the 60s. And then we lost everything in 1976, including a vineyard. Did called, you really? Yeah, yeah. Including a vineyard called St. Hubert's, which is in the Yarra Valley which we owned, we bought in 1976, and it was vineyard license number 13 in Australia. I wow. And, um, and then after losing everything, um, my brother John started again with one poultry shop in the Paran market that grew into 25. Um, and he was, my brother was a genius. He uh, was a real forward thinker. A lot of the things that you see now that you can buy prepared in a, in a deli or, a, you know, in... in prepared food stores my brother was doing in the 80s in the pram market yeah. like he would have been the first guy to do fresh pate um, pizzas that were topped sold out of the deli uh, pies sold fresh you know all that sort of yeah. things he had even imported pasta machinery from Italy when he was making fresh pasta in the store so you could see the theater oh, wow. of it being made so I grew up grew in and around food and, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. exactly so I grew up around food, grew up, you know, parents being Italian as well, used to eating pretty well at mm-hmm. home. Um, and then sadly, my brother lost everything uh, in 1991. He was desperately trying to win back in some respects mm-hmm. what the family had lost. Yeah. So he'd gone from one store to 25 stores, had a further processing facility, and then went into, uh, bought an abattoir, and then was trying to get back into the growing again, yeah. and then everything fell over. And, wow. um, so I was, around this time, I would have been 20, 19, 20. I got into, not 1920, but I was 19 or 20. <laughs> and I was, you know, I took the, you know, the, the, the gap year and went overseas and did the Europe thing. And then I got a phone call while I was traveling from my brother saying, you know, please come back. I need help. Yep. You know, I need people I can trust. Things aren't going well. So I jumped on a plane, came home and literally started working in the family business. I'd got into university, but pretty much... Day one was, yeah. you know, staring into the distance thinking, this ain't for me. Um, and so I went to work for my brother. Uh, then he lost everything. And I guess I was about 21 at this stage. And I was like, well, what do I do now? Yeah. If I go back to university, you know, by the time I come out, I'll be 27, 28. And what were you going to study? Um, you know, economics, commerce. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess... In the end, when you grow up in a family um, that's been in business, mm. you gravitate towards it. You're not afraid of it because all you hear around the dinner table is, is business, yeah. you know, and that's literally my earliest memories. So it seems to be a natural progression for me, but <clears throat> there is a little bit of a side story, and that is that the family, when my brother went bust, um, my mum and dad had one asset left, which they had rebuilt from, or, you know, grown again from having lost the first time the business in 76. So there was one asset left in the family and uh, my brother John then sort of went to mum and dad and said, listen, you know, I've got 
I need to get started again. Can you mortgage the home? Can I have some cash um, to get started? And anyway, long story short, I, upon hearing all this stuff, thought, you know, in our shops, and one of the things about our, our poultry shops was I had watched our, our you know, display cabinets go from 20% valuated poultry mm. to 80% valuated poultry in a very, very short period of time. And that was because the poultry store was always looking to win business away from the butcher shops okay. who, who really weren't interested in poultry. So we had to get inventive and, 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 you know, entice more people to try chicken in those days. So I had watched this progression into valuated and, and prepared food. And our biggest seller in our stores was a lemon pepper spice blend that my brother had um, sort of invented, I guess, okay, developed yeah. with, a, with a couple of the guys that he worked with. And um, I, you know, it's the old 80-20 rule, right? You know, 80% of your uh, sales come from 20% of your products. Yeah. And this particular spice blend was by far the biggest seller in the stores. And I thought, well, you know, if I could sell this lemon pepper spice to other poultry shops and, and butcher shops, yeah. and if I could teach them how to use it, then maybe I could pay off mum and dad's more. I could protect their yeah. house and pay the mortgage in case my brother John, you know, business didn't, didn't mm. you know, get going. So I often think that, uh, and, and actually, if for those who might know me, the logo of Flavor Makers is a lemon, and that <coughs> ties ah, back that's, into... Yeah, that's very clever. <coughs> thank you. Yeah, it ties into that first product, and, um, and, and because lemon is one of those few ingredients that lends itself both to sweet or savoury. So, <clears throat> got a bit of a frog in my. I'm going to have to have some yeah, prosecco. You, you enjoy the prosecco. So, if you didn't hear it, <coughs> this is Adrian's prosecco that we're drinking. Yeah, another I, I didn't mean to plug it. Hopefully, <laughs> um, um, get a bottle at the end of the show. Oh, you, you, you certainly <laughs> will. Um, so, yeah, um, I started selling lemon pepper literally at the back of my the boot of my car, um, thinking, you know, if I could sell maybe. 500 kilos of this a month, I might be able to help mum and dad. And, and I think karmically, maybe, the reason that I started, because of the reason I started, not being about me and lining my pockets, um, I've often thought maybe that was why it's become a success, because wow. it was really about protecting the family. So, so that was literally the start of Flavor Makers, mm -hmm. just a lemon and pepper. Yeah, I had $500 to my name, yeah. a, a docket book, uh, and a HQ panel van. You might not know what that no. is, Ben, but it's a Holden panel van for those of, wow. for those of my vintage. Uh, it's uh, an old car. But yeah, it was literally, that's literally how it started. That's unbelievable. And, and then I met my partner, Michael. Well, actually, okay. meet my, my partner, Michael, as in my business partner. My business partner, Michael, worked for my brother. Okay. Um, and years later, bumped into him and he was going through a divorce and he came on deliveries with me one day, and this HQ panel van, what I didn't explain was that it had, I had to use a broomstick to hold up the, um, the towel, the, you know, when you lift out up the back of the, yeah. you know, I had the, it, it had rusted, so I had a broomstick <laughs> holding that up, uh, literally, you know, phone pegged to my mm. shoulder and my ear as I'm carrying. <laughs> so when would this have been, about the 80s, uh, 90s? 93. So the phones would have been absolutely huge. I had an NEC P5. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't huge, actually. It was the first slim-lined, yeah. uh, cool version of a mobile phone, I think. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so he, he... And, you know, what I didn't tell you is the HQ panel van was originally used by my parents to deliver chicken. So oh, wow. the, 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 the actual floor had rusted. And, and so by about 3 p.m., the carbon monoxide fumes coming into the <coughs> panel van would have me um, pretty high. 
and Michael came for me, came with me on delivery one day. Michael's a chef, actually. And uh, he said, mate, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. And I said, well, you know, the family's lost everything. You know, I don't have any cash. <clears throat> and I said, Michael, I, don't, I really don't want to borrow money. I, I just look at the banks right now and think of them as evil. And I feel like I just have to be in the black. I've not worked, actually, for a company that's made money so, yeah, okay. <laughs> since I started work, you know. So literally, I was working from hand to mouth. And, and Michael said to me, he said, uh, get a bit emotional. Right? As you get older, these sort of crappy emotional moments happen. Michael said, well, how about I lend you the money to buy a van? And I said, oh, wow, you know, no one's had that faith in me, yeah. you know. And, uh, and he said, well, you know, this is rubbish. You need to change this. And so I took it um, and I made a promise to him. And that was that if he ever wanted to be my partner, mm. that, that, you know, the, the door was always open. A few years later, he rang me and he said, um, you know, is that office still on the table? I said, well, you know, your words, your word, right? So Michael uh, and I and my brother John actually yeah. passed away, sadly. Um, uh, we, we formed a partnership after that. Oh, sorry to hear, but what a, what a story. And, it's a bit of a story. <laughs> and Flavor Makers now, what's your annual turnover? Uh, so from selling lemon and pepper from a boot of a car mm. to probably being in, so everyone who's listening now, I guarantee any food that you've consumed in Australia <laughs> will have had an aspect of a flavor maker's profile in there somewhere. Never thought about that before, Ben, but that's pretty mind-blowing, actually. It's yeah, I guess, there, I guess there's, a, there's, a, there's a strong chance, I guess. You know? um, flavor makers would employ over 200 people now. We wow. have an office in the States. Um, uh, and we turn over close to 150 mil, that's I guess. That's Because we, so... <coughs> I've dealt with flavor makers now five years. I've known you for mm -hmm. five years, which is, wow. which is crazy. Fast, that's, yeah. that's gone. And we're in the boardroom now, and there's, there's products all on the wall, and some of them, uh, the stuff that... Yeah, I, 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 I call that the wall of fame or wall, shame, uh, that's, depending I, on so which I, products. I hopefully have some products in the hall of fame, Absolutely. and I also have some products in the hall of shame, but oh. one day... <coughs> One day, I think we did a great concept together, and it will come. I'm not going to tell you the concept because I don't want anyone else stealing our idea. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but just just the depth of what you've created is thanks, Ben. Yeah, I, unbelievable. Look, I think at the heart of what we do, we're passionate about mm. food. You know, like yeah. it's not. I guess in some respects, we're a food technology business, but I took the the step. Probably, um, you know, I'm going to pat myself on the back here, perhaps, but it's your podcast. Think, you go well, <laughs> I feel like we were the first to take food technology mm. to a more culinary-based mm. concept. And it was odd when I started in this industry because you'd ask for a tandoori, and you'd get something orange, yeah, okay. <laughs> and um, often translucent. You know, it was had no no bearing to the product or to the to the product that we were, you know, that we know from, from restaurant yeah. quality. Um, and it always baffled me that if you could make food, why wouldn't you, you know, be making great products? Mm -hmm. Whereas in, a, in the food, food technology back in those days was really basic and was led by, you know, food technologists who hadn't really had any culinary back yeah. background. They just knew the theory of food. Um, so... I just thought there was a gap, you know, I felt, felt like, well, you know, this is definitely an opportunity. At the time, you could see that there was more and more prepared food, mm -hmm. you know, turning up. Yep. Definitely in our stores, we were probably leading that, um, 
that race. So it just felt to me like there's got to be there's got to be something in this for the future. So we started applying chefs instead of we basically matched chefs with food technologists and and worked together yeah, to, to develop the products. Like, I know it's been a beautiful combination. Like the stuff yes. that is produced <clears throat> is yeah is literally just not an orange sauce or a yellow <laughs> sauce. It actually has that flavour, and also you can understand that there's been research or market research done in the background mm-hmm. to work out what is a true Indian curry or what is a true Thai green curry, etc. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, and, in, and often we'll bring in chefs from who are specific to that cuisine to, to get their insights yeah. as well into the, and knowledge into the cuisine. So it's, we, you know, we, we do, we go the, we do the, you know, yeah. the whole hog. Yeah. I think that proves with, with the products that you've got in the supermarket. Mm. So just in Australia alone, you've got products in Woolworths, Coles, that I know of, mm-hmm. um, potentially in Aldi as well, but you do both branded and private label. That's right. Touching on the branded stuff, mm-hmm. the, the the soups, the the hundred percent organic Australian soups, yeah. uh, I think is your brainchild. Like, yeah. it's your idea. What's yeah, it, it is. Then? That's how, another. How did that? Like, how yeah. did that come about? To be honest, uh, you spoke about this guy in one of your podcasts recently, Michael Lobson. Um, came here and did a did a tour of the factory one day. He's getting um, a few mentions in this. Good guy. Uh, He was a great guy. He was a really wonderful character. And and in a world of um, you know, in a in a business world that's quite soulless at times, that you know, you you meet these rare characters and he was certainly one that that I have a lot of respect for too. And he walked through our facility at one point and, and he pointed out to a to a spout pouch machine, I guess the, the mm. machine, you know, spout pouches, baby yeah, food. Yeah, like right? baby food stuff, yeah. And he said, oh, you can, you can do baby food. I said, yeah, well, I, I bought it thinking about on-the-go breakfast at the time, but he said, yeah, well, we're doing a private label tender. Um, would you be interested in being part of it? Mm. And I said, well, that's for children. He said, love to. So we, we started doing some R&D, and I, you know, ironically, even though we had the machinery, mm. we'd never done baby food before. Um, and, you know, I guess one of the great things about Flavor Makers, which is a beautiful, you know, one of the beautiful things to me as an entrepreneur is that we work on many, many things and often something you work on today, yeah, it comes back in a few years, you know, in a few years time or sometimes 10 years time yeah. and someone will ask you if you know how to do baby food and yep, we've done that before, you know. <laughs> I think our, our recipe database now since we started is beyond 26,000 recipes. Wow. <clears throat> but I digress. He said... If you could, you know, if you, we'd love to have you as part of the tender, um, you know. So, you know, I, you know, briefed the team here and and the culinary team, and basically, even though I'm in the industry, I was fairly naive to the organic space in Australia, and I, I said to the team, I'd really like to make this from Australian organic produce, and within a week, the team came back to me and said, look, boss, you know, it's not, we can't get you know yeah, purees we yeah. can't get organic carrot puree or organic you know yeah. this and that and and i was confused by that because i could buy organic apples yeah. i could buy organic carrots celery but what i quickly learned was that there was no secondary industry in australia there's no real infrastructure for that organic farming industry which is clearly one of the reasons why we don't have a bigger organic farming industry so and then it dawned on us that most of the baby food sold in australia certainly at that time it's changed now yeah was predominantly made from Chinese yeah, organic yeah. uh, produce. and <clears throat> organic apples from China, yeah. Yeah, and that, I, that kept me up at night, quite frankly. It was one of those um, 
and you know, if you've got children, you'll understand that you know you you want to nurture them, you want to give them the best chance in life. And then I was sitting there, I was in bed thinking about this quite often and, and thinking, geez, if the public only knew what the reality was that they were feeding their children, they'd be horrified, you know. We hear that the Chinese, if they can avoid their own produce, would. And yet here we are without any knowledge feeding it to our own children. So I had a lot of sleepless nights, Ben, and one night I sat bolt upright. I had, you know, those evenings where you, you, you talk, you know, the good angel and the, and the bad angel <laughs> on one shoulder. I've had a couple of them that's uh, not into your level. But, uh, <laughs> well, no. yeah. And I, you know, I was having that conversation in your head as you do that around... Well, someone's got to do something about this, but you can't, mate. You don't have any time. Yeah, but if you don't, you know, mm. who will? And I set up Paul Topright and I thought, you know what, it's probably got to be me because <clears throat> um, the unique thing about Flavor Makers as a, as a culinary ingredient company, we supply so many different um, food manufacturers in Australia, in New Zealand, that I felt that I could pull a network of, of good people together to, to help get this thing started. Mm. So the Australian Organic Food Company is, in fact, a brand that is owned by uh, us and, um, and, a, and a bunch of Australian organic farmers. Fantastic. And it's, it's, um, it's sort of like my pro bono moment. I guess it's, yeah. it's not, well, any business you start has to be profitable, otherwise it won't survive. But the intention wasn't about lining my pockets. Moreover, it's about trying to help this industry get more momentum. Yeah. Going back to the point that I made earlier about the youth unemployment in Europe, I think that if we're not careful, we'll be in the same boat. I mean, I know that in Italy, in some parts of Italy, youth unemployment's at 45, 50%. Oh, wow. And a lot of the industries closed down <clears throat> and moved offshore either to Eastern Europe or, or to Asia. Yeah. And our labour costs in Australia are amongst the highest in the world. So me personally, what I see is that we're going to be left with agriculture and, and tourism. And if we don't take this opportunity to build you know, brand Australia as an organic farming country, um, then we might miss what what is next important yeah. wave of, of, you know, infrastructure and jobs for the country, you know. So that's what it's about. It's been the hardest thing I've ever had to do um, because, as I said, there was no infrastructure. So I don't think there's, you know, that range of soups under the Australian Organic Food Company is, in my belief, the first ever 100% Australian organically grown product on the market. So you can buy organic Australian flour, yeah. but you can't buy a combination, combination of ingredients into one Fantastic. product. So, yeah, I'm really, I'm very proud of it. Um, it's uh, killing me personally, <laughs> but it's, um, <laughs> and we've just launched a range of um, purees, which I will give a plug to because I am concerned about um, because, you know, the, the hard thing, Ben, is that, you know, being Australian organic, we are definitely the most expensive product on Correct. the market. Yep. And the rule around this brand is that I will not use anything from any other country. So yeah. everything has to be 100% grown in Australia organically. So it makes life tough. To give you an example, the fruit purees, um, last uh, harvest, if for those of you who don't know, harvest for stone fruit is between November and March, basically. I... I committed to buying every process grade stone, organic stone too, fruit yeah. on the market, yeah. um, which meant, and then to, to, to be able to manage it, I turned it into puree. Um, and because the only way that I could launch a range of products mm. with seasonal produce was to buy enough to last me till the next harvest. Okay, yeah. So that I don't have a gap. 
So, you know, it, from a cash flow point of view, it's yeah, been a killer. Awful. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, really excited. We've got uh, an organic tomato passata coming out in a couple of months. We've developed a range of six um, organic pasta sauces that we believe, I hope, will come out in November, December. Yeah. Under a brand um, or private label? Under, under the Australian under Organic the Food Company. Yeah. Wow. Um, and uh, there is plans for a organic calipo, you know, like oh, yeah. ice cream. Oh. Uh, I'm trying to pitch, you know, fruit preparations now to, to organic yogurt um, uh, dairies yep. to try and get some Australian con- fruit content into that stuff because that... If you see organic yogurt with a fruit, generally it is in Australia, yeah. the, the fruit part. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it's going in a lot of different directions, but my good Lord. David, so you, you're in the Australian market, you're dominating the Australian market, whether it's through your, your own brands, private label, or um, adding a component from flavor makers into someone else's product. Mm-hmm. What's your views on, are you going to expand and look further into kind of the Asian market or how, how, do, you see, how do you see that market in general, to be honest? <clears throat> it's a really interesting point and I, I wanted to bring it up earlier, to be honest, but I forgot, so thank you for bringing no it up. No worries. Um, well, you know, we all know that the rising middle class of Asia are, are you know, clamouring over, clamouring? Is that even a word? Climbing oh, well, over well, each other? Again, <laughs> they, it's your podcast, yes, so you go. choose whatever word. They're clamouring, they and sense. if anybody wants to argue... Um, <laughs> Yeah. Email Adrian at Um Yeah, you know, we, we all hear that the middle class of Asia want to buy Australian and New Zealand produce for that matter, or products. And, and I think that what's really interesting about wealth is that the minute you start to make money, you want to live longer and you want to protect your children. And that's, you know, what's driving this infant baby formula nuts you know, with, with what's going on with yeah. China is that everybody wants to make sure that they're giving the best to their children and they look at Australian and, and New Zealand infant baby formula as, you know, this is the best stuff you can get. And, and if that's how they feel about Australia, if, they, if the perception is that we're clean and green, cleaner and greener than other countries yeah. in the world, then surely the message is there. We've got to grow that brand of our country to, to be... We've got to grow that clean, green perception yeah. as a country and build our brand as being that because that's got to be the future of Australian manufacturing and farming. It just has to be. If the middle class of Asia wants it, then we should be developing ways to get into those markets. And that's part of why the Australian Organic Food Company is really important because I don't see this as a short-term win. It's, mm. In fact, it won't be. I mean, it's, it's, a long it's losing yeah, money yeah. You know, every month, mm. quite frankly. But to me, I think that this could turn into something generational if we if I can continue and get the momentum. So any organic farmers out there, give me a call. Fantastic. Well, <laughs> it's yeah. funny, funny enough, I went to a conference, it would have been three weeks ago now, uh, maybe four weeks by the time we, we uh, launched this podcast. But Karma Brunton, so the, the insights mm. team, got two experts from the, the cannabis industry in Australia. Right. Yeah. And they were saying that we're growing cannabis now, like there's trials being done and there's farmers growing growing cannabis. Mm-hmm. And the world is seeing Australia as the best source of cannabis already for their, its purity it and its growth. Right. And it probably just got, if, if we can see this if, is what drives if, me crazy. If then. we can grow pure cannabis, which probably could be organic, so any of you Absolutely. organic farmers, not, not only are they growing tomatoes, they yeah. could also smoke the stuff and. <laughs> Who knows where they could sure plenty of them are. Ben. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a really interesting point, and that and, and it goes to the heart of what I was saying about the organic food company and, and the organic farming industry, rather. That 
we rode, you might know, not have heard this saying, Ben, but as kids, we, we used to, they used to talk about Australian history and the fact that we rode on the sheep's back. Okay, no, yeah. And, you know, in, in effect, we're a farming country and that's what got us to where we were, where, okay. we, where we are today. Okay. And I feel like we, we live in a particular moment in time where we could ride on the sheep's back again, organically. Mm. Rather, so, um, and, and, but the government isn't waking up to it. You know, like there should be government grants, there mm. should be incentives for farmers to convert, because this is the moment that we could... This, you know, that 63% of the organic farming land of the world mm. is Australian. Is it really? And, uh, you know, another little-known fact. But yet we do nothing about it. We do nothing about promoting... The fact that yeah. our, our, our produce is amongst right. the best in the world. Even just the cannabis, knowing that fact there and speaking to um, Hayley from the Australian Food mm-hmm. Co in previous podcasts mm-hmm. where yeah. she is sourcing Australian native, right? native yeah. ingredients. Mm. And she told us the facts like high in antioxidants, high in vitamin C and full of absolute nutrient-dense um, product. I was going, okay, went off podcast, launched podcast, I've looked into this, mm. and I'm going, oh right. she, she, she yeah. is smashing it, and yeah. it, there's some great stuff that's being grown on our doorstep. And we're not doing anything. We're not doing anything. But, but, but we'll import acai, because that's pretty It's cool. crazy, isn't it? <laughs> where do you think yeah. the grants are going? Where do you, where do you think? Where? I don't know, mate. I think that, you know, everything political, sadly, is driven by politics, right? Mm. So, you know, unless you are, unless the farmers are in, you know, almost living in an area that's on the border of being either a liberal voter or a labor voter that's where the money gets fed to convert it right so it's just you know flawed system but you know it is to me one of the most important things of the future of this country is the, is the farming industry and and the organic farming industry in particular which is so much harder um but we're not doing anything about it and it just does my head in and that's going back to why one of the reasons why I started this, you know, Australian Organic Food Company to try and get this momentum, to try and get the word out there. Bloody frustrating, but you know, I think bit by bit, it, just, <laughs> it, n- it never stops really, does it? No, like, it doesn't. Like, that's no, that's it doesn't. The, so the people who are listening, like for the first time that I met you five years ago, mm. and the project after project, like it's you're, you're like a non-stop, Me, I don't, non-stop uh, businessman, really. Don't do you know how many hours sleep do you get? For the people who are listening that um, think business is easy, how many? Oh. Um, how many hours are you? Well, Ben, I've had brain surgery, and that well, that's that, another, that that's, was my next question well, to say how are you still uh, <clears throat> how are you still in business? Yeah, so yeah. I, I question that myself. <laughs> um, the interesting thing about brain surgery is one of the side effects is you sleep less. Okay. Um, so I probably, on average, get four, maybe five hours. Do you sleep. Really, yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. So. I spend a lot of time thinking in the middle of the night. Yeah. I can't really do much else. <laughs> good job, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I guess it's uh, probably a good thing owning a food business. Eh? You can keep, keep working. Busy, yeah, because yeah. it's you know, like as as you talk about in your podcast, you know, look at the disruption and and what's happening in this industry globally has never been like this. So it's you have to be innovative. Right? What, yeah, I know. Otherwise, I was point you're like, what, a, what an exciting time we're in, like you. You've you've seen well, you've you've been there since the start to be honest and mm. you've seen it. Uh, Would you say the last couple of years has just been the change, especially for a, the plant based? Before mm. we we hit record, we're talking mm. kind of plant based nutrition and trends. So are you seeing a change in consumer? Like are you seeing a change in uh, consumer behaviour? Absolutely, I, and globally. I mean, the internet traffic. 
apart from the shopping, you know, from the supermarket traffic and, and the products that you see in supermarkets, the internet traffic that talks about plant protein is at fever pitch. Yeah. And those products wouldn't, in fact, actually, if you, you, you had been here an hour before, we, we pretty much lined up every plant protein product that you can buy in the supermarket right okay. now to get the whole team to taste it and to see, yeah. you know, where it's at. And I've got to say, you know, a lot of the stuff is bloody good. So, well, yeah, correct. I, I associate it and I keep telling um, the people I work with, it's kind of, I feel it's like the gluten-free movement. Mm. When gluten-free started, like, mm. I feel sorry for the celiacs mm-hmm. in the world back in the early 90s. Yeah. They would have had like a bread loaf that mm-hmm. would have just been like eating a brick. Yeah. And then the more like the gluten-free... And some would trend, argue it's still a bit like that so, times. But, <laughs> 100%, but hopefully it goes to a brick after two days. Yeah, like, yeah. They've got that leverage in yeah. between. But mm. the stuff, say like Kez's Kitchen, mm-hmm. the gluten-free stuff that they yeah, it's do. Great stuff, it's great stuff. There, I yeah. would actually choose that over mm-hmm. some normal stuff. And I can see that with plant-based, like it's been now, what, four years, five years mm-hmm. since it really mm-hmm. took off. And I think it's not even taken off in this Australian market. Yeah, I'd agree. There's some great products. There is. There truly is. There's stuff that really, you know, if you put it in your mouth and close your eyes, it does mimic um, um, meats and fish. Yeah. I tried a salmon product earlier, a smoked salmon product Mm. made from konjac flour. Oh, wow. Yeah. And honestly, it was like, wow, this is actually pretty good. You know? know. So, um, look, what can I say? That, you know, there's... The gluten-free movement was was driven by health. I mean, you know, I think the celiacs are about 0.2% of the population. That's why I always find funny. But it's Uh, the same now. I mean, it's it's not the vegans so much that are driving plant protein. It's the flexitarian, Mm -hmm. you know, movement. And it's just the general general consensus that we all want to be, you know, the wellness, the health and wellness craze. Which is great. In fact, I'm probably part of that. To, to, yeah, know, I was going to. My next question was going to be: So you grew up in poultry, mm. and now you're seeing this movement. Yeah. What a shift! Like, literally. Oh, it's crazy. Yes, yeah. it's, it's insane. Um, but it's good. And and but you know the other interesting thing about the time that we live in now, Ben, from my point of view, is is that the FMCG businesses, the iconic brands that we grew up with, they don't have a clue. They're jumping at shadows right now, and they are paying ridiculous money for startups because, you know, I use this analogy um, with the team here. It's, it's like, you know, we, we used to look at a can of Coca-Cola. Well, you know, I'm a bit older than you, but it was the greatest day in your life if you were, you know, allowed to buy a can of okay. Coke. Um, you know, if your parents would let you, it was just the greatest moment on earth. And now I walk past the display stand of Coca-Cola and go, you evil bastard. <laughs> What have you been feeding us? And 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 that's happened in like five, six years, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's had a flow-on effect to, to all the big brands mm. now, where where we are literally looking at their ingredient declarations. And if it's not us, it's our children or yeah. our you know who are driving the millennials who are driving this moment in time. But there, there's never been a generation that knows more about food ingredients than the millennials. And um, it's just incredible to watch. And you know, I read about this stuff because it's mm. sort of got a, what I got to do. The Nestle's and the, you know, the the the, the Campbells of this mm. world who, they are, they don't know what to do, yeah. you know, and they're in fact pulling out of MPD. They're saying, we don't know what to mm. brief our MPD teams because it's just moving too fast. It's so, crazy, yeah. and it's on fire. The whole and thing. it's just it gives that opportunity for smaller brands who absolutely uh, who have created, but yeah. it's also a different platform. Like I mm. think this, I call them the sleepy giants. Mm. 
wouldn't look to Instagram influencers or social media to they go are, yeah. where they now have to learn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's fascinating. And, Me too. And I'm sure you were you, talking about a book though. I, I I heard in one of the podcasts. Was it a good book? That which was one it, was I, it called? Platforms? Did I did I hear incorrectly? Oh, I don't know because I've. I've because I listen to books right, okay. and I yeah, am yeah. smashing so I, I get the train to work yep. and it's an hour there and an hour yeah, back yeah. and I wouldn't have it any other way yeah. because I'm doing a book a week yes, you know, it's and yeah. it's just researching human behaviour mm. um, and I've, what I've realised now is how emotional humans mm. are and how mm-hmm. much they need to be a part of a group yeah um, like, those, like tribes tribes yeah. and, and, that, and that helps them when I develop food products to mm. kind of go which tribe are we going after for, and yeah. the biggest learning curve I think I've got is don't target a product to everyone target mm. to a specific I think that's a really crop. good point at the moment in fact to your point to that exact point I was looking at doing some products around plant protein and whey mm. protein and, and, and a millennial said to me don't do both yeah. choose one or the other because the vegans won't trust you if, you're doing, if yeah. you're doing whey protein yeah. products and it was like that's such a simple, you know, message that I had to get from millennial. <laughs> it's crazy. Isn't it? yeah. And I've been doing this for thirty years. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like always learning. Well, one book I read, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, some people like him, some people don't. But the the content he posts on social media is just outstanding. This is the book that I thought you were referring to. Um, so I think you called it platform. I don't know. I was rowing at the time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So but, I, what I've realised mm. is Adrian, who is, and I'll be in the introduction, but Adrian. It, Probably one of the most influential people in the food industry, and well, and you're, you're, it's, it's just absolutely amazing to be here, to be honest. And just like looking at the wall, if you guys could see this wall of products, you'll understand how many brands and how much consumer kind of influence flavor makers has, and Adrian has in this. And what I've realised is. This, in this Gary Vaynerchuk, he was going, go back to, like, look at the millennials, look mm. at look at where people are buying. And yeah. I look at myself and go, mm. right, these are my shopping items. Mm. But then if I'm creating a product, mm-hmm. I might not be tailoring for me. Yeah. And he goes, if you have a 16-year-old niece or a 16-year-old sister, look at what she's mm. watching on TV yeah. or looking on which apps is she using. Mm. And he actually introduces kind yeah. of going, Look at look at the next consumer because that's the people who are buying your product. That's the people who are on Instagram looking for stuff. It's a really good point, and uh, you know, <clears throat> I'm going through exactly the same thing. I mean, you know, Ben, that I, we own a brand here called Passage to India, and I, you know, like to think that they're the best Indian products mm. in the market. But is it is it something that I can shout from the? <clears throat> is it something that I can and can? can really spruik about on social media. Yeah, like, okay, yeah. It doesn't feel like a brand you can do that with, right? Interesting, but, yeah. But, um, you know, <coughs> Celebrate Health, which is another one of our brands, perfectly fits into that space. Yeah. But how does a 49-year-old keep up with what's going on in Correct, that world? Yeah. And, um, you know, and to anybody that's, that wants to know the answer to that question, um, I think you've just got to talk to uh, millennial geniuses because... <laughs> They know all about it, right? So, but it's moving so fast. I mean, it's, the minute that you've worked out how to use Instagram, you can't get followers anymore. Yeah. And now you've got to move on to some other platform. So, you know, bloody hell. I didn't, no one told me this when I became CEO that I had to keep up with that stuff. Bloody hell. So to go on that aspect, so, so as I say, like, huge respect. 
And for the people listening who are startups or in a position going, okay, you're going through the ups and downs, you're dealing with the big guys and you're getting smashed left, right and centre on either a cost or just enough, there could be hundreds of issues. What advice would you give to anyone coming into the market now or is in the market and just going, is, is it all about the headaches? Like, yeah, you've, I, you've had some serious ups and downs, but what keeps yeah. you going? Well, I think you have to believe in yourself. If you know, if you don't have that basic uh, foundation, then don't start a business. Because, <clears throat> as you rightly point out, there are highs, there are many, many lows, mm. probably more lows than there are highs, especially at the start. But you you need to just believe in what you're doing, and you need to believe that the product that you're you know that you've developed or that you're pitching that you're passionate about it. Because nothing sells more than passion. I mean, you know. And stories, you know. Look at cosmetics. People spend three hundred dollars on a cosmetic simply on based on the story. <laughs> so true. You know, the, the belief yeah. that it's going to make them look younger. But uh, you know, I digress. The reality is, you need to believe in yourself mm. because you're going to get knocked down a million times. But on the upside, there's probably never been a better time than right now for small brands to yeah. be listened to. Because, like I was saying earlier, the yeah. the iconic brands, the FMCG guys, don't know what to do. And the buyers are interested in new things more than, than ever before because they're trying to pick the market and they're also trying to look like heroes as well. So, I, you know, I, I, would, I wish I would grew up in this era, to be frank. Um, but belief. Yeah. If there's nothing more that, you know, that whenever I think back, for me, it was belief. Fantastic. If you don't believe in yourself, how are you going to sell anything, you know? I, I could t- chat to you for hours because oh. you've probably got so many stories that for people to go, oh, wow, I've been in that situation and how did you deal with that? Not only flavour makers and the Australian organic soups and pouches and purees and passage to India and celebrate health, you're also involved in other businesses as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Mm. No wonder you, well, it's probably good that you only do four hours of sleep because... Yeah, I, I am a glutton for punishment. Yeah, it, um, yeah I've yeah, I own a distillery in Tennessee, making Tennessee whiskey <laughs> with a few friends. I got the vineyard with my cousins. Uh, we started a beer brand called Bira Baraka as well, which is um, a really cool story. Is that the one up there? Yeah, yeah. It's, oh wow! Uh, which is that story yeah. could go on forever. Yeah. Um, we're also the first Italian apple cider, uh, commercial apple cider. We brought to market, which is so. Yeah, I look. And there's others, mate, to yeah. be honest. But, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm that, I think I said it earlier, I'm like, when anybody comes up with a great idea, I, I turn into that yappy dog with a, you know, waggy tail, just go, come on, shall we? Let's do it. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> throw the ball, throw the ball. <laughs> That's me, I think, sadly. Fantastic. And I'd love to get you back on again. I hope you've enjoyed uh, this experience. I have been. And let me tell you, to anybody that's listening, if you haven't listened to other episodes, Ben is a legend. You're doing a great job. Thank you. You I appreciate that. And uh, I just can't, it's absolute privilege hearing your story. I've learned stuff and I've learned so much from you in the last five years. So too kind. Keep keep doing what you're doing and um, I'm going to keep following and... uh, being right behind you trying to create stuff so that you're not taking my shelf space. Um, <laughs> and anyone who's listening, like if I will be putting in the, sh- in the show notes how to contact Flavor Makers, but jump online, have a check out what they do. And we'll be back next week with another show. And uh, 
thank you very much for listening. I hope you've got some great knowledge bombs and uh, a great story from someone who's doing some awesome stuff in this industry. So thank you very much. Thank you, Ben.